show something that nobody else has seen because they're not going to expect it. Yeah. At least not in key games because I think there are some really ridiculous combos that nobody's talked about yet. And some things that we figured out, it's like, holy crap, that's a thing. And people, ha- we haven't heard anybody talk about a couple of these things. Probably just double checked your podcatcher thinking you clicked on schemes and stones instead of tabletop talk. But this is Craig and this is tabletop talk. And this is a fun episode where I have two guests, Kyle from Schemes of Stones and Kevin from Three Men in a War Game, come on and we're talking Malifaux. We discuss a lot of things, including the state of uh, Malifaux Third Edition and its launch. We talk about some models that might need some attention, some keywords that might need some love. And we talk about terrain and recommendations from uh, gaining ground zero. Essentially, you get a chance to find out, you know, what three podcasters think about uh, Malifaux and uh, some of the hot topics. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Greg here on the third floor. Today we have two fellow podcasters as guests to talk about Malifaux. My guests are Kyle Bodie of Schemes and Stones and Kevin Shopik of Three Men in a War Game. Kyle, welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me, Craig. This is long overdue, man. I was on your show, what, year, year and a half ago? Something like that. It was right when you were talking about the faux tour and figuring out the details of it. Yeah, we had just kind of started the beta, and uh, it was before uh, third edition leak, and uh, it uh, it was fun though, man. I enjoyed it. I'm gonna have to sneak on again at some point. Oh, definitely. Everybody knows you've been goofing around with Malifaux. Um, I'd like to know what non-Malifaux goodies you've been getting into. Well, as we discussed earlier, and Kevin also has been talking about this, is God Tier just came in for both of us today, so I will be messing around with that quite a bit in the near future. Otherwise, that, Steamforge, right? Yes, it is Steamforge. So the same people that make Guild Ball. So yeah. it's the most Malifaux-S game I've found so far. That is, it's a little bit simpler as far as like things you need to know, but it seems like it has the depth. Nice, nice. Um, and was that that was like super delayed, right? It was. It wasn't super delayed. I know there were a lot of people that are very hesitant because of the Dark Souls, I believe, Kickstarter that they did previously. That kind of. I just got my Wave Three and put it on eBay. Yeah, <laughs> for Dark Souls. Yeah, but there's a good. There's actually a good story why that all happened. But you can go find that online. But anyways, yeah. this one wasn't too bad. It was a few months late, but honestly, like when it comes to Kickstarter, I never expected anything to be on time. Yeah, and I hear like the mechanics are real sharp and clean, and um, it's kind of built for competitive play. Yeah, definitely. It's very simple. It's kind of like 
everything has like a positive and negative of the same condition type. It's kind of like distracted and focused, that sort of thing. And there are all these tokens. It's just like, here's plus one move or minus one move. Here's plus one to attack or minus one attack. And that's like the, the conditions in the game. Nice. Nice. Well, cool. Uh, so, Kevin, welcome to the third floor. I was on your show about a year ago, uh, Three Men in a War Game. Uh, it was Ray and I, actually. We were talking about Malifaux. Um, now, your podcast is packed full of different games. So unlike Kyle and I show, uh, where we primarily focus on Malifaux, um, I venture out every once in a while to other games, but mostly it's about Malifaux. Um, I want to know what you've been goofing around with. Yeah, that's correct. I am a uh, renaissance man when it comes to miniatures games. Uh, <laughs> Malifaux is definitely my number one love and my most played game by far. Like Of the systems I dip into, like you could combine all of them and I've played more games of Malifaux. Uh, yeah. But I, I also play uh, A Song of Ice and Fire and Marvel Crisis Protocol, uh, God Tier. And that's pretty much it for my stable right now. But I've also dipped into Kill Team and Warcry and lots of other systems. Carnival. I heard. I want to talk about two of those. First, I want to talk about uh, Carnival. I've heard that is a really good system. Uh, it is. I actually just got into playing it. Uh, I <clears throat> I actually bought the two player starter for this last Gen Con because I had signed up for Gen Con late. And I was looking for something to do, and they were having a narrative tournament. So I bought the two-player starter and painted one side of it in like a week and a half, and then they canceled the event. Oh, jeez, I know. So I went ahead and you know I, I waited a while. So it's you know because we're clear past August now. I waited a while uh, and then painted up the rest of it and went into play. And the thing I like about it is it's really cinematic. It's a it's a two d ten system. Um, where you're looking for degrees of success and based on your degrees of success, you can do really cool stuff. Uh, and I, I would say it has the most, one of the most fluid movement systems I've ever encountered And that. Oh, that's cool. It's kind of matrixy in that you can, you know, if you've got the character with the right stats, you can really jump and climb and get all over the place. They think Assassin's Creed and you're not far off. Oh, that's cool. And the, the scenery that TT Combat makes for that is outstanding. Yeah, so the two-player starter set actually comes, they're cardboard buildings, but it comes with like 16 of them and everything wow. you need to make a three-by-three three mat. And then the mats, the, they're one-by-one one, uh, squares, and they have different plaza levels on them So and, and, and also uh, rivers, or right, because it's Venice. Uh, so right. you've got the water moving through. Uh, and there's places to put the gondola that comes with the two-player starter. And you can nice. arrange it in lots of different ways to make lots of different canals. Uh, and then put your buildings out to make, I don't know, just a ton of different combinations of the way you can make the streets look. Well, when you get uh, get more of those game, more of that game under your belt, I'd love to do a uh, Craig Should Be Playing episode with you about it. Because I've heard real good stuff about it. <clears throat> I had a guy that was uh, trying to connect me with the guys from TT Combat to talk about it. Um, so uh, shoot me a note uh, when you really are ready to talk about it, because I, like I said, I've heard good things about it. The models are gorgeous, um, and I'm very interested to learn more about that fluid uh, uh, movement uh, system that you talked about. Absolutely. Uh, so, guys, what I want to do is I want to. We got a ton of topics to cover. Um, kind of the idea um, of having uh, the three of us on the same podcast is um, we really. Between the three of us, we talk about Malifaux a lot. Um, well, in our communities, we're connected and, you know, are parts of lots of different discussions. 
um, as part of our shows, we have guests on um, and talk about Malifaux. But I really want to um, kind of talk about some of the hot topics that have been uh, bubbling up uh, in, on the forums and through AWP and kind of get not only the thoughts and the opinions of what we've heard, but um, God forbid, our own thoughts and opinions. Because a lot of times as hosts of a show, um, we don't really get to talk about what we think about things. We're talking more about what everybody else is talking about or what our guest is talking about. So, Kyle, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, kind of going back in time a little bit. I want to talk about uh, really the kind of the launch of M3E. Um, and the first thing I would like to know from you is what did you think Weird got right about third edition, but specifically the game and the launch? Sure, sure. So as far as what went right, I think it's more the game. The launch was kind of messy as far as how that went, the leak and all that. But I really enjoyed how they got the keywords right and how they got that system right. Because one thing that was really annoying about M2E was if you played 10 Thunders, it's like, okay, so you're playing these six models and then a master, a totem, and something else that's maybe with that master. And keywords kind of eliminated that. At least it seems to have as of now. Now, whether that will change, time will tell. But I really enjoyed that they cleaned that up a lot. I like that they cleaned up how the upgrade system worked because there were some masters where you had to pay for six points of upgrades in order to be effective while other masters didn't. I like that the master is the card. Like if you want to add a random upgrade, that's cool. But everything they do is on the card. That just makes it simple to understand. What does this master do? Yeah, I think the I think the one of the goals that they had, and Matt when when he was on the show talked about this, and, and boy, I think they knocked it out of the park is to make the game more approachable. Um, and uh, having done uh, a couple teaching games in both M2E and M3E, it's just the game is far more approachable now because everything is on the card, and the little tweaks they made simplified things without taking anything away. Kevin, kind of, what was your thoughts about third edition? Uh, in, in terms of what I think they got right, um, for me, they they really fixed the only problems I had with the game. And the main issues that I had with the game were the how th- there were multiple abilities that did mostly the same thing, but they were called different things. So you had to know, basically, you had to have this encyclopedic knowledge of all yeah. the cards. And they've cleaned those things up. Like the execute trigger is a really good example where it's common across a ton of cards now and if someone says this has an execute trigger you know exactly what they're talking about because it's consistent that language is consistent throughout the entire set uh and also the improved los and targeting rules i was a a very vocal critic of elevation los and targeting in malifo second edition despite how much i loved it um and i think they've completely fixed it i i I know there is no perfect LOS system, but what we have now in Malifaux, in my opinion, is very good. Yeah, and I feel like this this again, the simplification didn't sacrifice the depth of the feel of the game because that's one of the dangers you have with a, a, a new line of sight system, is that sometimes you can take the immersion out of it because it doesn't feel right. Um, but I, I don't think they lost that at all. I don't think so either. And that, that's kind of why I mean it. I think they got it right, is that it it lets you stay in the game. It doesn't break the game. There aren't any there aren't any real circumstances where it doesn't make sense either, right? It doesn't do janky things to the game like the old yeah. LOS did. Yeah, and it's not true line of sight, thank God. Right, yeah, yeah, there's that also. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now the other part of that, Cody, is um, let's – now, I'm going to preface this little segment here first. One, um, the the people that care the most about the success of Weird are not on this show. They're actually in 
Georgia right now, and they work for Weird. And the only people that truly know and understand the challenges of running Weird are Nathan and everybody else there. Um, so I'm going to start the segment off by the fact that you're talking, we have three people on, uh, on the show, including myself that are completely uninformed, only have half of the information, but let's pretend that Nathan called us up and said, Hey, you know, Kyle, um, what, what would be your advice for, to get things better, to make things better? Um, so Kyle, where, where do you think, um, weird could step up more if they're, if they're able to. So when you presented this question, there were three things that kind of came to mind. Uh, the first one's a pretty simple one, and I think focus and distracted should be tweaked so they're basically opposites completely as opposed to the current confusion now of they're kind of opposites, but they're kind of not. Yeah. So I would get rid of that, and I would have made focus as you just get a plus to a flip. So it's like you can choose, do you want a plus to the attack flip? Do you want a plus to the damage flip? Because the whole idea of focus is how do you get around strain continents? How do you get around hard to wound? Well, the idea yeah. is focus. You could choose which one you had to get. And then distracted would be basically the opposite where the opponent could say, hey, I'm going to trigger distracted on you now. So now you're going to take this minus to the damage flip so you can't cheat it. That sort of thing. I think that would have made it cleaner. It wouldn't have been that hard to do. Unfortunately, I didn't have this idea during the beta. It didn't really occur to me until <laughs> after. So sure. hindsight's twenty twenty on that one. I was going to say, that actually works really well in A Song of Ice and Fire. What you're describing right there, if you ever wanted to play a game that has that mechanic that's how it works there like you trigger your opponent's conditions yeah exactly and i think that would have made it just cleaner and it, yeah focus kind of has some issues with it where i think it's a little too good now now it's not breaking the game per se but i think it is a little too good overall um, as far as other issues dual masters i think are still an issue for me i think it's starting to come more to the light and then my final thing is versatile models. I think, and I trust me, I understand getting the balance for these things is going to be the hardest thing in the game. But there's that weird, like, how do you make them still get taken, but not so they're taken all the time? Right, right. Can we actually have a monk crew that has monks in it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. Um, but Kyle, taking a step back from just the mechanics um, piece, is there anything that you wish that them as a company would would consider or look at, or what advice would you offer them from a uh, from a operational standpoint? Anything from operational standpoint? I granted. Now this is purely you have to understand the circumstances that they're in, and not knowing all of those completely, you can't really be sure if this is the correct advice, but I feel like they need to expand a little bit, uh, basically wow. hire on a couple more people because it's very evident that their workload is pretty heavy for the people they have. And it feels like I understand they've had a lot of turnover lately because of developers and stuff like that kind of moving on and then new ones coming in, but it feels like they need to fill those holes and then add like, two or three more people to help with all of these processes, not ne necessarily just developers, but other people as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta be honest with you. There was a period of time uh, where uh, the, the turnover was, was really scary for me. Um, I was uh, a big fan of a lot of the developers that had left. Um, and um, until I 
really got to see what condition third edition was in, um, did my confidence get renewed. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like we're in good hands, uh, with Matt and, and, and Kyle. Um, I don't think, um, I think they've proven themselves distinctly, but to your point, you know, I, I, I get the feeling a lot of people wearing a lot of hats, um, and it's stretching things thin. Um, but boy, that's real easy when you don't have to pay the payroll. Obviously. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's one of those chicken and eggs things too, Kyle, which makes it tough, right? Because you, you, you'd love to see them expand and get bigger so that they could have more of a presence out there. Um, but they need, you know, they obviously need more revenue to do that. So, yeah. um, it, uh, it's not easy. Um, yeah. it, we know what is easy. It's easy as to give advice on a podcast. That's super easy. Exactly. Um, but, well, I think the first, um, the easiest one I think they could fill is just hire. I know this is very cliche in this day and age, but find a social media guy, basically somebody that is there to monitor all your social media, to really advertise the game, to go yeah. on shows, to help make YouTube videos, to help do all these kind of things like a special events that occur, things that get people hyped about the game. Because I feel like weird. And Malifone General is one of the best-known games that people don't know. No, I agree. There's there's two positions I've thought of, Kyle. One of them was a community um, <clears throat> social uh, position. The other one is I, I get the feeling they need somebody who like went to school and, and knows operations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some operational challenges that they faced. Um, and, you know, they're not the only gaming company dealing with China that has faced those type of operational issues. But... Um, I wonder if having somebody who truly is a, an expert in logistics uh, could help that. Um, mm-hmm. But the uh, you know the big thing for those of you at Weird that are listening to this, uh, you've got you'd be hard pressed to find three bigger fans of you guys. Um, so take all of that with a grain of salt and keep in mind, you know, the three of us have no idea what we're talking about. Um, Kevin, if you were going to uh, shell out some unsolicited advice to Weird, what would it be? If I have a big one, actually, uh, and for me. Right now in third edition, there's two kinds of players, right? There's players that have been in the game for a long time, and there's new players that are coming into the game. And then there's the the new the players like us that are also that are older games that are possible or older gamers looking to expand their collection because they're excited yeah. about third edition, right? So in that consideration, I don't understand the what feels like buckshot random release calendar they have right now. There's no consistency among keywords in the releases. So if you're a new player and you're trying to find product, like if I want to play, uh, think of a, like Mercenary right now, mm-hmm. there's a loyalty to coin, but the other boxes aren't out. And it's weird to me that rather than spending a month by month, like filling out a keyword or two, they're just spreading out models. So new players that are coming into the game, it's very hard to direct them into product to buy. Um, so for me, my biggest criticism is that, is that they should really clean up that release calendar to focus more on blocks of products that newer players can buy. I think that's, I think it's very smart, man. Very, very smart. And that kind of like gets into a little bit of what that operations logistics thing, but also from a game design standpoint too. Um, but it would be nice to say, you know what, uh, for the next three months, we are going to release every model for outcasts. And then, you know, the next two months, we're going to fill out every model for resers. Right. Or like a keyword for three factions each month. Yeah. Right? That that would be, I think, I don't think anyone would object to that. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Someone objects to everything. You know what I mean, right? It's better than just, I do. it's very, like I said, it's very hard now to find 
a consistent product to recommend to new players. Like I, I have a guy who just started Von Stuck and he can't get any of the other Transmortis models. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it's definitely a challenge. And, you know, I, I hope that, um, you know, by end of summer uh, next year, uh, you know, hopefully we've got all of the uh, the the kind of this wave one of yeah. third edition yeah. is out there. But, um, you know, obviously, I mean, <laughs> there's nobody that wants to have product to sell more than weird does. So obviously there's, you know, some serious challenges happening there and whether it's challenges that they have control over or don't have over control over, I don't know, or whether it's a, uh, uh, human resources issue like Kyle talked about, but, um, it, it is a bit of a challenge. We've got new players that have come to the game here in North Carolina and there's frustration that oh, yeah. they can't, you know, they can't, you know, fill things out. I've got, um, you know, guild players that, you know, have key keywords that are unplayable until these, some models come out. Um, yeah. My, my example is I wanted to play, I, I started this edition while I was, I played Bayou Gremlins, right? All through second edition. I main them every tournament I went to. And I told myself, you know, I always wanted to play Vix and I always wanted to play Kalen. And those were the two things that I was going to focus on. And I haven't been able to buy anything for the Victorias. And yep. I still can't find a Carlos model uh, to yeah. fill out my performer keyword. So it's rough. Um, but, you know, it's a t- that's a time thing. And they'll, they'll fix it. it. It's, just, it's just weird to me that they would choose not to release full keywords when they have full keyword ranges that were available. And it's one of those things, Kevin, that seems so obvious that I feel like we don't have all the information. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I bet you it had to do with like you know, packaging and how model runs were being done, right? Because yep. they weren't, they're not running all of their casts all the time, right? Like, so it could have been very hard for them to order uh, the, or to get the injection molds for the certain ones in the right place to print them at the, at the right time. I, I get that logistically, it's got to be a nightmare. But it's just like I said, the, the, the guy who only, like you said, only understands half the story, my critique. Yep. No, I think that's legitimate. So guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, what I want to talk about are some of the models that other people have been talking about. So there's been a lot of noise about some specific models out there. Um, I'd like to get uh, what these guys think about it and share some of my thoughts. So we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So now that we've uh, given Weird all the advice they didn't ask for, um, let's talk a little bit more uh, about specific models. Now, on any given week, 
uh, in any given month or whenever there's a big tournament, new uh, results come out, um, there's a whole bunch of noise um, about a master or about certain models. If you've listened to this podcast, I've been guilty of this. There's certain models that um, I won't shut up about. Um, but I wanted to talk about some of the ones that are the noisiest. Um, so, Kyle, let's start, start with you. Um, what do you think um, for you is, is a model that's that people are are you know talking about um that you happen to agree uh is potentially a problem well by itself i will go with this answer because this is probably the less complicated one and we'll just say shinlong i think we're starting to see which masters are quote unquote above the curve and he's very much a master that is showing himself to be above the curve and it's indicative because you can see it when you see tournaments there are five rounds and the top player soloed Chen Long every round and he yep. did fine. And the whole idea, at least the idea that it seemed in three was trying to do was more what Arcanists have to do where it's like, okay, if it's reckoning, I can bring one of these two masters. If it's, you know, corrupted idols, I need to take one of these and that sort of thing. Whereas you're starting to see some factions have a master that can kind of cover the gamut well enough. They may not be the best pick for one of the choices, but they do it well enough that it's just easy to master that one and then just run that master and that crew. And that goes back to the whole issue where, oh, this one master does everything. And I think that's because Shinlong is so versatile. Yeah. And his key mechanic is, one, it's easy to generate, which is chi, because it's it's not something that you have to put effort into generating, whereas a lot of masters and keywords, they can do that, but they have to take effort to generate it. Like, you have to stack the poison. You have to get the, get the curse on models. You got to do things like that to get up to speed to start doing your thing, whereas chi is just, bam, it's there. I just get it yeah. when I activate. And he can just go. Yeah, um... So I don't disagree with you, Kyle. And um, I I wonder there's a couple things. Um, and for me, you know, definitely I don't don't disagree that Shenlong seems feels like he's a little ahead of the curve. Um, <clears throat> I wonder I wonder what the solution is. So I've had a couple thoughts. One, um, I wish I wish he really was put in situations where it was hard for him to decide what styles to use. Mm -hmm. I think that's what thematically makes Shenlong cool is that he's got these different styles. And if you've played Shenlong, you've played against Shenlong. He really only uses two of them uh, situationally, maybe a third. And I think it would be interesting to, to, to interbalance those styles to make them uh, more niche, more situational. Um, there's just, there's just two styles that are just too good compared to the other ones. Um, the other thing is, and I joked about it in the last segment is, you know, I'd like to see him run with monks. Um, and I, I'm beginning to wonder, and I've had conversations with this, um, just recently, and I don't think, uh, the episode's out yet. Um, I interviewed the winners of the Swedish nationals, and we have a good conversation that's on that episode when it comes out talking about that maybe it's less that Shen Long's a problem, but maybe it's a problem of the versatile models that are in 10 Thunders mm -hmm. and that you have an, a, a, a master in Shen Long that really doesn't need his monks. So he can really abuse, um, you know, that versatile pool that the 10 Thunders have. And uh, after the next break, you, we're going to talk about versatile models, but it, it makes me wonder if maybe um, 
he's revealing a problem that's a faction wide problem as opposed to a problem with him. Um, you know, and granted, every, we're always going to have one master in every faction that's ahead of the curve. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I, the one thing I will say that makes me um, optimistic is the fact that um, I really loved how Kyle and Matt handled Zareda in Gaining Grounds Season Zero. Yeah. I found their solution to be very subtle, not heavy handed, and it makes me really actually look forward to how they handle potential head of the curve models going forward. Um, now, Kevin, I know you and I talked offline. You said that you don't have a lot of Shenlong players um, in your area, but um, what are some models that everybody bitches about at the end of every tournament? I, I think the Soulstone Miner, right? Because yeah. <laughs> the Soulstone Miner with magical training is just too good. At eight points, it's nigh impossible to kill. Provides yeah. you a, a larger, if it provides you hand advantage and gives you additional soul stones. It's just an insane model. I, and I think, you know, you've spoken on it at length in multiple master breakdowns. And I don't want to get into like a nonstop bitch fest about that model, but man, it is way too good for what it, for its points. It, it feels like. You know, the insane mobility it has, the, the ability to be where where you need it to be, which in third edition is a big deal. Um, and the Soulstone generation, it just it all feels too much. Now, we, we have a dirty arcanist on the show, though, Kevin. So, Kyle, I want to hear your take on Soulstone Miners. I think they're good. Sure, they're above the curve, but every faction has models that are above the curve as far as versatile models go. Now, the thing people forget and... This model is not as good as people think. And trust me, this is coming from a guy that has played a lot of Hoffman lately. Armor 2 seems good, but it's not that good. It's There are certain models that can just ignore armor first off. Now, granted, like I said, if I'm bringing Hoffman, they generally bring anti-armor. So it's there. But even if you're not, all you have to do is hit it five times. You're thinking, oh, that's... How, that's not easy, but trust me, we've been playing, we have a Jack Daw player, and we've learned very quickly that you have to just be able to hit him six times to kill him. Yep. That's not, yep. that's the only way you're going to be able to do it, is just hit lots of little hits. And the thing about a lot of constructs is their defenses are garbage. So it's not hard to hit. You will hit them every time, as long as you're not attacking them with a totem. And even a totem can hit. I don't really want to cheat a high card when I have armor two. Most of the time, I'll just like, well, I'll just let the armor two try to absorb as much as possible. The other thing is, yes, it is super mobile. Oh, go ahead if you have to say oh. something. Oh, sorry. The the one thing I would say, though, like as a Colette main, is that I love for players to focus on the Soulstone Miner. I bet. Sure, sure. <laughs> sure, but the thing is, too, you got to think about it. Like, you're playing, especially if you take two and magical training on them, you're basically playing 14 stoles down for two or three rounds. And most people don't think about that, but I've done it where you bury them immediately. Sure, they're generating a couple extra soul stones and they're generating the extra card, but the extra card, I would put that on any other model too. And a lot of times I don't even put it on the miner. I put it on something that could actually use the defensive buffs because it's going right. to be getting attacked. Something that's not going to be immediately killed, at least. And half the time, I've played games where I it's really easy to misplay them because one, standard deployment, it's they can't pop out as well as you'd like them. And flank is the same way. The flank deployment's so big that that six inches away from their deployment is actually a pretty big size. There's actually a lot of the board you can't pop out. Sure, you can jump to the corners immediately and try to get outflank. But honestly, 
I feel like good players know that trick and they're going to have things. Like, I've done that with a tournament game. And I was playing against Perdita, and as soon as it popped out, I couldn't control activations. She one-shotted it off the table. Two, yep. rows in a, turn, two turns in a row where one popped out, shot, killed it. One popped out, shot, killed it. And it's like, you're not getting it. I'm like, well, at least not with that model. And, I mean, you just account for those things. Yeah, yeah, it is fair. And I think that um, one, uh, the more you face it, the better off you get against it. Two, um, you know, we, we talk about the investment, Kyle. And, you know, my first anti-Arcanist reaction to that is, well, boy, that seems pretty good for scoring four points. Um, but the reality is, is that if you see one or two, especially if you see two Soulstone miners, just look at the pool and you know where they're going. Right. Yeah. You know what you, you know, what the targets are, you know, what schemes they're going to take. And that gives you actually an advantage. Um, and what you what you need to do is uh, uh, is, you know, get good a little bit and and say, you know what? I have a lot of information now and um, these things are killable. Exactly. Um, they, they feel a little much. Um, there's no question about it. Um, I don't know what the tweak is, um, but uh I think that you 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 bring up some compelling arguments, uh, Kyle. I, I will give you that. Now, I want you to try to try to convince me that spider swarms are okay. All right. Well, I'm not going to lie. I will say spider swarms <laughs> do need to be slightly tweaked. Um, I thought okay. of. I actually kind of thought of a really good idea of what you could do to put them ba- basically in line. Now, I will say, I will put one caveat. People completely complain about them, and especially the Arcanist models in general, I think a lot more than the other ones, even though I think other factions have models that are just as problematic. But sure. the reason why is because Karis is really popular in a lot of metas, I've noticed. For whatever reason, I, I, I just don't play Karis right now. And Karis has like five keyword models and two of them suck. So she yeah. has to bring versatile models and those are the best versatile models. So yeah, you're going to see three of, or four of those in her cruise because her other keyword models suck and she only has two other ones that are worth taking. So yeah, where else? I mean, you're not going to spend a bunch of tax points, maybe one for one model. But as far as the swarm, the only issue I really see with them in comparison to like being above the curve is their onslaught triggers built in. I exactly. The easy fix is you could give them a different trigger built in, like say give them a RAM built in and there's only one RAM trigger and the trigger is it could simply state after succeeding, the next attack gets a mask built in. Yep. So you have to hit the first one and then your second attack can get a free onslaught or something like that. And then you still well, get three our, our, attacks, but it lowers yeah. the abusiveness of it. Or shit, just I like that idea. Just build in the um the build in the RAM and give them critical strike. Um I'd be okay with that, and that would be huge. I agree. It's the built-in onslaught that that's that's really disgusting. Um I think it being versatile um could be something that could be thought about. Um I think making mm-hmm. it augmented would be interesting. Well, people don't know how to play against Spider Swarms too, and I will say this first off, and some of my players have learned this very quickly, being it works out well because they're playing the mat. The most common players I play against have models that can do it. Is just bring terrifying guys. Have you ever tried to bring? Yeah. It's a willpower four model. If you have terrifying, even if it's eleven, I have to cheat a card for every freaking attack probably, and it's just yep. not worth it. So I'm just like, well, I guess it just misses because I'm not cheating for every one of these attacks. And I think that's just something people haven't caught on to, or maybe they don't have access to. Well, and that's that is true. I mean, I'm spoiled being a reser, you know, having access to that. But um, Kevin, do you have any thoughts on spider swarms? 
Oh, I was just going to say, you could take the attack stat down to stat 5, and then I think that actually does a lot. That'd be a big deal. Well, yeah, because uh, latch on too much. makes... <laughs> latch on's a thing, too, so you're always at least two above, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. yeah, latch on plus stat 6 is rough, man. It's brutal. That built-in onslaught, yeah, it's pretty bad. So, yeah, Kevin, you and I have talk, talked about another model. Let's talk about Rusty Alice. Oh boy, uh, what is there not to say about Rusty Alice? Coming in at nine points, the ability to ignore hard to kill on a three, four, five damage track with execute bullshit. The fact that she has <laughs> the fact that she has rapid fire and built in healing, extra yeah. bullshit. I don't even know. I don't even know where to start with this model at nine points. It's ridiculous. Well, and she's um, coupled. I think it's key to keep her in context of her keyword too, because you've got her and what you know she's running with levy right i think there's one easy fix for her at least in my mind and that is basically make her walk move four because my issue Ooh, with her is because that was how you dealt with her in previous editions you would just engage her and then she'd have to melee and her melee wasn't nearly as good and then yeah. that's how you deal with her the problem now is even if you hit her half the time you you'll be on a negative flip and you have to hit severe to keep her in so yep. most of the time she just pushes out and then rapid fires twice in your face and it's like you're still taking six damage yeah, yeah. What is she? She's like, she's like move six, isn't she? Yeah, she's move six yeah, is the problem. That's stupid. Well, I mean, yeah, you're taking so nine damage, really, right? Because the rapid fire, it just, she's terrible. Well, I mean, if you have to disengage, it's six. Oh, but. yeah, walk away six. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And that's right. usually, that's how I tried to deal with her when I first played against her. I'm like, I'll engage her. And he's like, I'll just push away. Rapid fire, take six. And I'm just like, okay, that's not going to work. Or I have to position where you can't disengage because you'll hit a wall. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you right now that there's not a ton of levy players out there, and the way I know that is we haven't heard the complaints yet. Oh, um, I have a levy player. Trust me. Like we're gonna do a levy episode probably soon, and Brian's pretty good with her, and yeah. he is pretty bonkers. Yeah, Cody. Cody here in the Carolinas. Um, his his levy is just it's so brutal and oppressive. It's mm-hmm. so oppressive. Um, so I have a feeling that we'll start hearing more noise about Levin going in. Well, let's go with kind of um, the, one of the original boogeymen, um, Zareda, who got a little bit of attention in gaining ground zero. Kevin, uh, do you have uh, Zareda players in your meta? We do not have a Zareda player. I mean, we definitely talk about Zareda a lot because the the, the global meta talks about Zareda. Yeah. Um, and just, I mean, really the problem with Zareda is it was a problem with the book strats and schemes, right? Like she is just abusive into plant, into idols and plant. Yep. It's that obey is horrible. Um, but again, I don't have a lot of experience playing into it. So I, I don't have any personal horror stories. Yeah. I, I love how they handled it. Kyle, what, what are your thoughts on Zareda? We're hearing less about her now. Have you noticed that? I, well, sort of. I think she is fine by herself. That is my caveat. I think when you add a second master, she becomes problematic. Now, she's never the primary. She's always the secondary master that you take, generally speaking. And then you abuse the other master's mechanics and crew and the ease of range. My problem with her is kind of twofold. One, 
her range for obeying is insane. It should not be that far. Like Raspatina has an eight inch. Okay, I can go eight inches from an ice pillar and then I can go 12 inches. She can go 12 inches out and then another yep. 12, I believe, or is it 10 or something like that? But the fact that, and she doesn't need line of sight either because the model just kicker. needs line of sight. It's like, oh, you're way across the board and behind a wall. Cool. I'm going to arc through this model of mine who can see you and now I'm going to obey you to do something stupid. It's like, that's too much coverage. She should not be able to cover the board like that. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I mean, I was one of the voices that was uh, saying that she's good, but I don't think she was as as insane as people talked about and um, was very happy to see um, the changes to the strats um, and schemes that we saw in Gaining Ground Zero. And now I think she's fine. It took me two or three games against her to kind of figure out what to do. Um, but, uh, I think in general, um, she was a poster child for how strong obeys were, um, in third edition with, with the current pool, uh, of strats and schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, now Kyle, there was a period of time on your show, um, which I listen to all the time, uh, where there was a lot of talk about Lynch. Um, is, is he still being perceived as an issue in your meta? No, I think they've discovered that other 10 Thunder Masters are worse. <laughs> <laughs> are a bigger problem. <laughs> yes. I think he's good, but I think there are just other masters that are better uh, than he is. And I think that's a testament to how powerful the 10 Thunders masters yeah. are overall. Yeah. Yeah. I'll yeah. talk about Lynch a little later in context of another model, but yeah, he is still like on the top of a very, very good heap though. Like, right. Like if you think about the bet, he's in the, the, the better 10 thunders masters and he's just really good. He's yeah. still like middle yeah. of the pack though. <laughs> which, which says a lot about the faction. Right? Thunders, yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, let's take another break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about just the opposite, which is, are there certain keywords or models that we think um, need a bit of love um, or a little bit behind the curve? We'll be right back. Hi there, this is Owen from the Nova Open. And I am a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because I love supporting the whole Malifo community. I want to help Craig and the whole Third Floor Wars team continue making the fantastic content that gets me through my daily commute. You should join me in supporting the show. Just pause this episode, head to patreon.com and search Third Floor Wars or grab the link in the show notes. See you there. So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. I want to give a quick shout out to the people that joined our Patreon uh, in December. Matthew McGill, Larry Staffelt, Ben Dunstan, Lee Osterhound, Andre Schwartz, Matthew Peterson, Jacob Nix, Jonathan Kelly, Richard Walters, Mike P., Nathan Howe, Craig Chuba, Alastair Kunif, Decca Goody, and Adam Rogers. We appreciate it, guys, and uh, we look forward to an exciting 2020. All right, so um, 
let's keep the bitch fest going. Uh, we talked about uh, things that maybe um, there's, you know, that have a lot of noise and some uh, potentially ahead of the curve models. And I think some clever ideas on little tweaks that can happen. And I, I will say, I hope that, you know, when we get the first errata, that everything we see are little. Um, I thought some of the adjustments made in second edition were a little heavy handed. Um, I don't think there's anything indicating that Matt and Kyle are going to be heavy handed, uh, which makes me happy because I don't want Shenlong going from being the flavor of the month to uh, he's never played. Um, but I do want to talk about some uh, models and keywords that are maybe uh, behind the curve a little bit. Um, so, Kevin, are there any models or keywords that you think might need some attention? Yeah, and I want to actually make a declarative statement before I get into this. And that I don't think any of the keywords are inherently bad. I yep. think there are just some keywords that are better than others. That's the first thing. And also, I think... There are, like you covered in your Seamus episode, there are some that we just don't necessarily understand maybe what the designer's intent was, and nobody's quite figured out how to make them work properly. Yep. And I, I'm going to come out and, and say this as a non-Neverborn player, looking at the Neverborn sort of, if you look at the tier list of Neverborn masters, I think that Nephilim is a, a keyword that needs a little love. Uh, on paper, they're very strong, right? They have horrific attacks, especially Nakima. She is horrible to deal with. Um, but if you think about the keyword at a, as, as a whole, they're supposed to operate as pack hunters. And as pack hunters, it sort of puts them in one spot on the board. And it makes them very, very good at killing. But they're also sort of the traditional glass cannon where they can fall pretty hard to focused fire. And also, I think they have maybe the most bad matchups of any single keyword yeah. because despite the fact that they have the black blood shaman and they have some corpse generation if your opponent is playing mei feng von schill levi hoffman tri chi asami von stuck like any of those masters you're not getting corpses to use your grow mechanic from killing enemy models which is what your crew wants to do um so it, it, I think some of their, their, their like in keyword synergy can be broken up just by merit of what your opponent plays. And I think based on scheme pools too, it can be hard to play them into certain scheme pools and, and that's keeping people from maybe playing them more. Yeah. I think that you've got a couple of things. One, she doesn't have her totem out yet. So you're not seeing, a, I think that's preventing a lot of people from playing her. Um, I've seen uh neck on the table and in the right hands we've got a local here daniel that um is so good with her but you are correct kevin that she has got some really bad matchups um especially range range can just tear her up but it's mm -hmm. um it's going to be interesting if anything happens with it because she's got some i mean mature nephilim are really good um and she, oh, yeah. and she is really good oh yeah yeah, she's great. Her supporting models are great. Like I, I, like I said, I don't think this is a matter of her her keyword being bad. I just think like when we were talking about that, there shouldn't be a keyword that can be an all comers keyword. Yeah. She doesn't have one. She's a purpose built master. If you have a killy pool and you've got the models, by all means, play her into it, right? Because she can handle business. Um, but I just think there are some some pretty glaring weaknesses when you look at her in comparison to other. Uh, 
masters in Neverborn. I think your point about matchups, Kevin, was the best point, um, is that she's got too many bad matchups. Um, so I, I definitely uh, uh, can understand that. Kyle, what is uh, what is the keyword uh, that you think needs some love? I honestly am kind of of the opinion that I don't think anything I have ran into so far has been like, wow, this is just bad. It seems like everything I've ran into, I'm like, okay, I can see where the potential is. Yeah, sure, it may not be good at this scheme or this specific strategy, but I feel like that should be how it is. I think every master should. Yeah, every master should have like a strategy or two that they're kind of bad at. And that, that, that's when you don't take them. That's when you take your other master that's good at that yep. sort of thing. So you're playing the faction and not just the master. That being said, like being an Arcanist player, I look at all of them and most of them have their place. I think some are definitely a little weaker than others, but that that's an easy fix. I feel like one, you could just change some of the strategies around or two, just give them a little bit of boost by adding like a model or two that are maybe a little above the curve and that could fix the whole problem. So honestly, I don't have much to say. Um, there are, yeah, there are bad matchups, but we can get into that a little bit later of how the game is a lot. I've discovered, especially in recent tournaments, how paper, rock, scissory, the whole declaring master game has been, as we predicted on my podcast, that it would be. Yeah. Do you think you, do you still, still think that's a problem? I don't necessarily know if it's a problem. It could just be seen as like, this is how the game is played. Yeah. Because for example, the last tournament, we went to Minnesota to play in the Renegade Open and four of us went up there and we ended up playing on the top tables. Spoilers. Uh, It was two of us on the first table and two of us on the second table. And since we knew each other and what we played, like basically the guy who won specifically, he guessed what the other guy was going to play. And then he teched hard against it and he won because he had a tech piece that he's like, I know exactly what you're going to do. and I'm going to tech against it specifically because I think this is going to work and you haven't seen me do this yet. And that's how he won. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of ways around that. I um, I go back and forth on it. Um, I like I, I could see removing that master declare from it could really cause some problems too, um, because of the uh, uh, amount of bad matchups that can be generated. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, um, you know, taking a step back, um, and uh, if you don't hear me say nice stuff about this faction very often, I think that Arcanists are a really good poster child of where I would love to see all of the factions end up. Because I agree with you, Kyle. I don't think you have a bad keyword. I think you have keywords that are better at some pools than others, which is good. Um, and, you know, there's not a, not a single uh, keyword in Arcanist that if I find out someone's playing that keyword, I go, well, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Um, I mean, you look at something even like Ironsides. Uh, Ironsides is good. Um, and she's got oh, yeah. her place. Um, but she's one of, you know, one that we don't hear a whole lot about. And you've got, you know, at the at the higher end, you've got, you know, things like um, uh, I think Sandeep is really good again, but he's not t- he hasn't taken over the faction. Um, so I think there's some really nice uh, inter keyword balance in Arcanist. And I would love to see more of that in some of the other factions as well. Yeah, definitely. So mine is Rebel. Um, being a, uh, reser. Um, my thing with Reva is 
she's confused. Um, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but if you go through and you read her cards and you look at the mechanics that are built in the keyword abilities, they are, um, not only are they scattered, there's like two or three things she's trying to do. Um, when you actually get it on the table, it's even worse than when you're just reading it. Um, and there's, you're forced into some very fixed activation orders. Um, you have to try way too hard to try to pull off what you think she was designed to pull off. And she doesn't feel like Reva anymore. Um, and I would be okay with, you know, her being different than she was in second edition, which was this reach out and hurt you, uh, master and really was kind of, you know, the damage damage danger uh that she was in second edition it'd be fine if that's not what she does now but i quite frankly don't know what she does now um i don't understand it and i just i i'm not asking that she should be made better um i want her to be i want her to find a place in the faction and right now she has no place in the faction because i really don't understand what what she's trying to do um so and you know i love her I love the alt model. Um, I want to play her more. Um, so I'd like to, see, I'd like to see some attention there. The other, um, Craig, I tried, I tried. <laughs> did you? Yeah, I was, I not- played her in the beta yeah. and I complained about how bad she was. Oh, did you? Well, I appreciate the effort. Um, it, um, it just seems like there was a couple things being tried, um, and then there's some focus was lost, um, in, in the translation. Um, and from my understanding, Kyle, there was kind of some last minute stuff that was thrown in right, right at the end there that kind of confused things even more. Yeah, I was, I, as I played Rezzers throughout the, all the beta and stuff like that. And I played her a lot because Reva was probably one of the more staple masters I played when I was in my year of Rezzers. Yeah. And she just, Part of it was like, okay, she's not what she used to be. She used to be overpowered, admittedly. Yeah, she was good. But they took her too hard the other way. And the same thing with the pyre markers. I'm like, what are you trying to do with this? Like, it makes no sense. It it feels like... I feel like she has abilities on her keyword that just don't do anything. Well, and and kind of part of my problem, Kyle, is is that she doesn't, like, from a fluff perspective, she doesn't make sense. Um, Like, I think there's an opportunity to take a step back with her and, and make her the zombie master. Um, you know, if you look at her in the fluff as kind of the champion of the undead and, um, stuff, you know, not necessarily make her a, uh, a summoner, but maybe somebody who really utilizes mindless zombies. Um, and, um, you know, maybe that's a place where she could be found or I don't know. There's something there. It's possible there. I'd like her to feel like, the fluff a little bit. I'd like to, I'd like to, for her to find a place, I guess, uh, sure. is what I'm saying. And that could be one of those where they take a step back and maybe they update a keyword and they're like, this is a keyword that just needs fixed. So let's just fix this as one of the bigger rata fixes. Yeah. I would love, I mean, I'm the other thing I'm real anxious to see next year is, um, what kind of, what kind of, uh, moves we see from a dead man hands perspective. Um, mm-hmm. I love the idea and I can't remember who was on the show that mentioned this. I think it might've been, um, uh, Jamie Varney His literally take a keyword and rotate it out. Um, so, you know, one keyword out of every faction, just throw it into dead man's hand and then have it come out a year later as something completely different, completely mm-hmm. redesigned asked, from the ground up. 
When I had Mason on the show, I asked him about that, and he said it wasn't something that they wouldn't consider doing. Yeah. No, I, I, I would like it, um, and it would help with bloat um, as well. So, guys, let's uh, let's take another break. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Gaining Ground Zero um, and kind of what we saw there, what the thoughts were, and especially uh, what we um, hear about terrain. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than Mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right. So, uh, Gaining Ground Zero comes out. And uh, here's a prediction. Somebody in the next week, the week that you're listening to this episode, is going to post up the terrain board that they're playing on. And one of the first comments is going to be, that's not enough terrain. That's the guaranteed staple comment on everyone there. And when Gaining Ground Zero came out, one of the things uh, that kind of shook things up a little bit was the recommendation of the 40 to 50 percent coverage on terrain, um, which, quite frankly, I, I don't think I've ever seen in in play. Uh, we've been experimenting with it a little bit here in the Carolinas. But, Kyle, I want to know um, – I want to talk about Gaining Ground Zero in general, but uh, I want to talk about this specifically. What, do you, what were your feelings or what are your feelings about that recommendation? I think while it seems like a good idea, I don't know if you're going to be able to practically implement it because generally the terrain issue is not a casual game issue. If you're a casual game at a game store and you have a whole, at least in our case, we have a whole wall full of terrain that we can select from, we can cover as much terrain as we feel is appropriate. Yeah. I think it's more when you get to the tournament scene and you have to bring in all the terrain and you can only bring in so much, especially when you have 
30 plus players in some cases. It's like you got to cover something. You got to cover the tables with something. And sometimes you don't have as much train as you would like to have necessarily. So I think it's more of a practicality standpoint than a, is it actually something that you should do? That being said, I have played on a couple tables at Adepticon that were specially built that probably did feel those needs, and it's kind of a pain in the butt, honestly, to have that much trains. You're bumping things all the time, and there's just a lot of there's a lot of let's just say Rasputina gets really good when you can wall off whole sections of the board because of terrain. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I um I do think the game is better when there's more terrain. Um, uh, I think it's a better game. Um, I think 40 to 50% seems high to me. Um, I have found, uh, shooting for the 33%, um, to be pretty, pretty damn good. Um, but, um, it, uh, one was a recommendation. So everybody needs to calm down Two, um, you know, if you can try the game at 33 Forty percent terrain. I think that you're going to find the games tend to be a little bit more interesting. Um, uh, so I think it's worth a shot, Kevin. Uh, locally, when you guys are meeting at the game store to play, how much coverage do you think you you see on average on the boards? Oh, we do an even thirty three because most of us have mats by Mars mats, yep. and it's really easy to measure out a third of the board. You know, you just go right to that one third lane, third line with terrain, and then spread it out onto the board after. Uh, and I would say that's generally what we do. 40 would be the maximum, I think, that we normally play. And I think you're right. Like 33 to 35% is the sort of like, uh, hell yes, like perfect Goldilocks spot for terrain. Yeah, and I think the game's better with that much terrain. I really do. Um, you know, I, I I get very annoyed when people, you know, bitch about people's boards not having enough terrain. But um, to the point that they're coming from, I think the game is better with more terrain. Yeah, and as a Ulix player with... Uh, a lot of 50 mil pigs. I, uh, appreciate having some lanes to walk them through. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I think the other thing was nice too, in gaining ground zeros, they did, you know, talk about making lanes at least, uh, 50 millimeters, um, which I thought was, uh, an overlooked point that kind of helped with that as well. Um, any other hot takes from you, Kevin, as far as gaining ground zero, were you anything in there that, uh, you liked you things you hoped you'd seen, didn't see, or what, what was your feelings when you read it? Um, I liked the slow play rules, um, or the, the slow play, uh, suggestion. Um, I don't, I'm not very hard on slow play and I never will critique another player on it, but I like that they included it so that people are thinking about it at least. Um, I also, I, I, as a hobbyist, I appreciated the proxy and conversion, uh, section in that you're, you know, you are allowed to use 50% non weird stuff. If you want to do crazy conversions and sort of let your flag fly, you can do that. Um, I, I think that, that the game itself is great, right? Yeah. Like the strats and schemes they chose. I really like the way they suggested the round formats, the ringer, the buys, all that. But for me, like that hobby aspect really shines for me in a, in a way that they want to be accommodating to all comers, right? They want as many people playing the game as possible. And I think they took the right steps with the hobby stuff. That actually makes me think of something, Kevin. Um, and that is uh, time. Um on average now, what, what turn are you guys getting at um, through on uh, your tournaments? In a in a two hour game, I would say turn four yeah. is probably the average. Um, and do you think that's an issue that if we keep it at two hours, you'll eventually get to turn five as everybody gets more f- 
uh, familiar with it or do we need to take a serious consideration of going to, you know, two and a quarter, two and a half? I think two and a quarter, two and a half is actually the right answer. Just there's, it's such a complex game and there's no real good way to handle a death clock, uh, in a game like Malifaux. Um, so I, I think just giving a little bit more time for the rounds is probably fine. And, and maybe you just have one less round instead of five round tournaments, you do four. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And that's where you make up the time. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, uh, Kyle, what do you, what are your thoughts about as far as, you know, tournaments games only going to turn three and turn four? From my experience, four does seem to be about where tournament games end most often, unless it's an extremely killy pool or it's a blowout. But the blowouts usually are done within like 20, 30 yeah. minutes in those cases. So like my recent tournament, we had two hour, 15 minute rounds, I want to say something like that. And I still, I only finished one of my games. Yep. Like the other two went to turn four. Now, that being said, I feel like at least they were at a point where it was like, Okay, I feel like it was very clearly this person was probably going to win anyways, so I'm okay with how it turned out. Unlike the tournament before that was kind of unfortunate. It was one of those where it's like, I feel like we really needed to play another round to figure out who was really going to win this because at this point it was not decided. So I think that's always going to be an issue with Malifaux, though. I don't think it's going to get any faster, or it's not going to get a lot faster just because models don't die as quickly. Yep necessarily m2e got to the point where it was so alpha strike that a lot of the games were fast because it's like who kills the other person by basically turn two and then it's all clean up yeah yeah um so kyle what was your kind of hot take from uh gaining grounds outside of the terrain i think they did a really good job overall with it i really like how they addressed the zareda issue and they cleaned that up i highly approve of that I like that they added a bunch of options of like alternate play styles. I like love here that. Are a bunch of things. My only complaint is while I like that they kept flexibility and openness to it, I really wish they said if you're going to play like a a ranking system like a faux tour, and this is something faux tour maybe we'll have to figure out since weird's not going to do it, is make a very standardized. This is the tournament format. This is. Like, here's a bunch of options of how you can do tournaments. Do it the way you want to. These are all cool things. But this is like a specific, like a champion's format. Right. And this is, if you want to play, and if this is going to be our grandiose, we're going to play and have a national ranking system, you play the championship format, which is very specific in this is what's allowed, this is what's not allowed. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about it. So um, recently we updated the website uh, after the Gaining Ground Zero, and we're going to allow everything but team format. Um, so 50 Soul Stones, um, all the different formats. Um and that might change, Kyle. That that could change, you know, when we get to season mm-hmm. season two, season three of the tour. Um, the one thing, and I'd be interested to know what you guys think about this. The one thing that we're talking and considering is using a band format for masters. Um, so uh, the idea being is that you know we're going to have hopefully thirty two of the best players in the country all coming together and playing, and um, that. You know, the one downside to the band format is it really hurts new players or people that don't have a lot painted and a lot put together. But there would be an expectation that if you're one of the best players in the country, that you you would have at least three keywords with you Mm -hmm. um, to go there. Um, What do you think about that idea, uh, Kyle? Do you think that would be a neat format for Masters? 
Well, it depends on how are we talking about how the gaining grounds talks about ban, or are you talking about when you go to the table they can just outright ban a keyword? Oh no, I'm talking about because how those the way are different. They, yeah, the way they do it in gaining grounds, which is which is after after declaration master declaration, you can pick a keyword that's not shared with that master and ban that from the list building. So my take on this is while it would help, what it's going to do. And I don't, this is not necessarily a terrible thing per se. It, it, it's basically inspiring innovation. It's for people to basically find weird combinations that people don't know about and oh. don't talk about and basically bring them to that championships tournament and show something that nobody else has seen because they're not going to expect it. Yeah. At least not in key games because I think there are some really ridiculous combos that nobody's talked about yet. And some things that we figured out, it's like, holy crap, that's a thing. And people, we haven't heard anybody talk about a couple of these things. And those are when you'll start seeing those pop up. And at that point, it's like, who has the best gotcha? Is that what the tournament is going to be decided by? Not necessarily, but... That could be part of it, and I don't know if I necessarily like that idea. Yeah, me neither. I mean, we talked about making it singles as well. Um, but, you know, it, to your point, though, Kyle, if we're not going to make the season restrictive um, in the quote-unquote championship format, which I think is a good term, uh, then maybe the championship shouldn't have restrictions, right? Um, so, I don't know. Um, that's interesting. I mean, uh, Kevin, do you think that um, we should put some restrictions or just kind of let things go for Masters? I think for, at least for this this initial season, just let, letting things go yeah. is cool. Uh, from a like for me personally, I really like fixed pool as a as a tournament style. But yeah. like, I don't know if that works well for championships level play. Yep. No, that's that's a good point. One I hadn't thought about either. Um, yeah, I think we got to play it out, right? Um, and uh, you know, it's going to be the first one, and and we'll get a feel for it. Um, you got my wheels turning though, Kyle, because I think that um, whatever we end up doing for season two, um, we need to make it consistent. Which is yeah, if for if for it to be scored, your tournament needs to be this format because that's the format of Masters. Yep. No, I agree. Well, gentlemen, um, as you guys currently host the two podcasts that are always at the top of my list when they come out. Um, I always look forward to a new Schemes and Stones. I always look forward to Three Men in a War game. Um, so, Kevin, what's the best place for people to uh, track you guys down? Uh, you can go to Podbean slash Three Men in a War game, or you can find us on uh, iTunes and Stitcher. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Three Men in a War Game. That's spelled out three, not the number. And uh, guys, I'll have links to that in the show notes. If you have not listened to their podcast, um, it, it, it's really good. There's a, uh, two local guys in, uh, here in North Carolina, and then Kevin um, are, are, are the hosts, and they have guests on and stuff. But uh, boy, oh boy, if you want to stay on top of some of the new games coming out, um, kind of, you know, takes on some of the games, uh, all, all three of these guys have a, a terrible focus problem. Um, they, all of them play too many games. Um, yep. but you as the listener benefit from that because, um, I will tell you, um, all three of these guys know what they're talking about when they talk about games. So their opinions are very valuable. Um, and if they like the game, I am pretty much guaranteed that I'm going to like the game. The only thing I have that saves me is I've got a, a what I call a 
Paul, Paul, uh, force field. Um, so I went, as soon as Paul comes, goes, Craig, you got to check out this game. Um, like I, I have the ability to resist that because if not, um, I'd be playing 15 different games just like, uh, yeah, you, you and Paul, uh, do Kevin. So, uh, yeah, it's rough, it's rough, <laughs> but, uh, it's a great listen. Um, now Kyle, you host, uh, what I consider the granddaddy of all Malifaux podcasts. Um, uh, the biggest and the best in my book. Um, what is, uh, for the well, maybe two people that listen to my podcast that don't already listen to you, where can they find you? You can just Google schemes and stones and I'm sure you'll find yeah. plenty of stuff. Yep. So that'll be easy. Um, uh, from a uh, format uh, standpoint, Kyle, um, is there anything uh, coming out that people can look forward to as far as uh, future episodes? Yeah, we're definitely going to – we're trying to mix it up. And since you've been doing a lot of the more Master Spotlighty things, we're trying to do some other – letting us flex our muscles in other places – so we've been trying to do like the tax time episodes as yeah. we've done. We want to do some versatile stuff where we cover like the versatile models specifically within each faction and kind of cover a lot of that stuff. We will still do some master spotlights, probably start with things that we're actually playing and just have me and Brian talk about our experiences since we play them a lot Yep, and then kind of move from there. And I'm always open for ideas. If people have good ideas, they're like, Hey, we want to hear this. I'll be like, cool, let's do that. Then if that seems something within reason, yeah, and uh, the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to plug bo- for both of you. Both of these the Three Men in a War game and Schemes and Stones have Patreons, um, and uh, it's really hard to find better money to spend every month than to help support uh, the quality content that these guys put out. Uh, gentlemen, I really appreciate you coming on, and um, I look forward to coming on your show. Definitely. Absolutely. All right. For everybody listening, I appreciate you sticking around. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. That was good, gentlemen. You've done this before. What? No, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's go. <laughs> Next segment, you guys. I I have not have no Shenlong players in my local meta. So don't I worry, I have plenty to rant about. All right, cool. <laughs> and I also do, I also haven't played against very many spider swarms. So those two things, oh, Craig. Fuck those models. I have a man. I have a real bad opinion in this segment. I'm gonna oh, get, good. I'm gonna get, <laughs> I'll start with you then. I'm going to get so much hate for this. It's good, fun. good, good, good. Kevin, I want to start with you and kind of get your take on gaining ground zero. Does that sound all right? Um, are you good to start with Kyle? That's <laughs> sure. <okay? laughs> 
sorry. I just, it would be, I, I think uh, this is, I mean, Kevin, are you drunk? It would just be better for me if that's okay. No, I'm definitely not. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'll start with Are you sure? <laughs> I'll start with God. 100% sure. <laughs>